Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be starting Akev. Pasha's Akev is 111 psukim altogether, and we're looking at Rishon today, the first Aliyah. Our Aliyah is 25 psukim in total, running from Perik Zion, Pasuk Yudbeis, to Perik Ches, Pasuk Yud. The main idea of our Aliyah is the condition of inheritance of the land of Israel. However, we'll see that it's really broken into three basic parts, and they're separated by paragraphs. In the Aliyah. The first section is about the conquering of the cultures. So we see Moshe Rabbeinu says to Bnei Israel, if you listen to the commands of Hashem, then Hashem will guard you, He'll keep the covenant, the kindness He swore to your fathers, He'll love you, He'll bless you, He'll bless your children, your fields, your livestock, and you'll be a blessed among the nations. You'll be blessed among all the nations, Hashem will remove all the diseases, all the illnesses in Egypt that came before you, and you'll consume all the nations. Have no mercy on them. Don't serve their deities because they will trap you. Okay, so this is the this is section one of the Aliyah as a summary. The next section of the Aliyah in a summary is the concern about inheriting. So Hashem says, well, maybe you're going to be concerned and say, look, these nations are too many. How will I possibly succeed in inheriting them? So he reminds them, you do remember what, what Hashem did to you in Egypt. Look at all the signs and look at all the wonders he did. He'll do that same for you as well. He'll in fact send the Tzirah. In front of you, we'll discuss what that is in a moment. To destroy the remnants of your enemies, don't fear them. Hashem will remove all of them. And he makes an interesting point that Hashem won't do it in one foul swoop. So it's not going to be a decimation of the enemies in one foul swoop because there's a concern that the beasts of the field will inhabit the land because of the void. So Hashem will do it little bit by little bit. And at which point in time, don't bring their idols into your house. Don't inculturate yourself. Don't think you can handle the balance of the culture around you and your culture. That's section two of the Aliyah. And a summary of the third and last section of the Aliyah is the appreciation of the sustenance of the land. So he says if you keep all the mitzvah, whether that means referring to all the mitzvahs or finishing up all every mitzvah that you do, as Rashi points out, Hashem will ensure you to live and conquer the land. You know, that's the condition. You, and Moshe Rabbeinu reminds Israel that Hashem took you in the desert for 40 years in order to test you to see if you keep your command, the commandments. He tested you, he fed you the manna to teach you that human beings don't survive only on bread. They live on the word of Hashem. Hashem wants us to know where we really get our sustenance from. In those days in the desert, our clothes never rotted, your feet never dried up uh, over the 40 years. And you know that in your hearts, you know that it's diff- Hashem treated you like a father treats a son. And sometimes a father has to punish their son, but it's because they love them as well. And then he describes how you're about to enter into this beautiful lush land, land flowing with springs and rivers, seven species of fruit, wheat, barley, grapes, figs, pomegranates, olives and dates. And it's a land which lacks nothing. You'll quarry from its mountains and its rocks, iron and bronze. You'll eat. You'll eat, you'll be satiated and you'll bless the good land which Hashem gave you. That's the summary of this Aliyah. So really a lot that has to deal with going into the land of Israel, removing the impediments, removing the nations there and their cultures in order to be able to serve Hashem. And thinking back about how Hashem's track record, Hashem's relationship to you is going to govern the way you're going to live for going forward. Obviously this is a huge Aliyah with so many concepts to cover. There's no possibility of covering all of them, but just a few basic points. One of the central ideas ideas is, is that it, towards the beginning of the Aliyah, Hashem says he's going to remove all those nations and he says to his nation of Israel, don't have mercy on them. And one wonders, wait a second, isn't mercy a good thing? And this is something we struggle with as well. Sometimes what people will do is they'll compare the crusades and jihad of other religions 
to Judaism and say, well, look, Judaism also wanted this as well. And maybe Judaism was also meant to be this nation which conquers and decimates their enemies mercilessly. And the truth is that's not true. Rav Hirsch points out in, on, on that pasuk, he says, the repeated admonitions not to have any mercy on the Canaanite populations shows just how much such a merciless procedure goes against the grain of the Jewish people and is against what they are meant to be, which is and is to remain the predilection to protect all living creatures. They are to regard this merciless procedure against the Canaanite population as an exception, expressly commanded by God to be done in His bidding because of the special circumstances. In other words, at this point in time, Hashem has said that this, these seven nations have reached their end. I'm telling you as God of the world that this is the time that need to be got rid of and you need to get rid of them. But that's not going to be the way that we're going to continue living our culture. We're not going to go around trying to destroy the world and convert those who don't believe. That's not the way that Judaism operates. This is an exception which why Hashem has to keep repeating, don't have mercy because this is the exception. That's the way Rav Hirsch looks at it, and it's a very profound perspective in trying to understand Torah Judaism. Now the basic question, which seems to be a, a, a simple question, but it's actually more complex, and that is, Hashem says He'll send in front of them the Tzir'ah. What is the Tzir'ah exactly? Well, Rashi says it's a type of insect. It's going to be an insect which is going to hurt the enemies who are hiding. The Ibn Ezra says it's a type of disease, like the word Tzara'as. But what does that have to do? Like meaning... Hashem has just said, I'm going to do all the Egypt, Egyptian miracles that I brought against Egypt. I'm going to do for the people in the land that you are going to conquer. So isn't that a little bit of an anticlimax, whether it be a disease or a fly? Why are we mentioning this? Rav Sarotskin points out that no, that's precisely the point. Hashem can run the world overtly or implicitly. And Hashem is explaining that if you listen to him, he will run the world for you as you enter the land of Israel implicitly. And it can be the smallest thing. And we've seen how a disease can bring the entire world to its knees. Well, Hashem is going to be in control of that. The flies, the weather, everything is in Hashem's control. And it's going to shift from being overt splitting of seas to diseases. And Hashem will control. If you trust Him, He will take care of it. That's what's being told to us in this idea. This shift from these two modalities or explicit to implicit running of this world. Another question. At the end of the Aliyah, Hashem tells us to Moshe through the tells us to look back at the Hashem's governance over us in the desert. And it seems to be there are two two messages. It's almost like mixed messages as to what's really going on. On the one hand, we're told that it seems to be a time to test us, like a father tests a son. On the other hand, we're told that Hashem looked after our every need. Our clothes didn't rot, we had bread from the heavens. So which is it? Was the desert experience a trial or was it a gift? The Oznaim Torah points out that it was actually both. The whole point is the following. Is Hashem spent 40 years training you and those around you to understand that the only reason you received sustenance was because you listened to Him. When you listen to Him, you get sustenance. And that lesson needs to be incandescently clear and taught to them so that when they enter the land and they start earning and they start tilling the land and plowing and and, and seeding and gathering the fruits and think that it's really themselves, they need to remember the model of the desert which is that it actually comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So on the desert, on the one hand, it was difficult and it was a gift at the same time because it was the training course for understanding how life operates as a whole. Finally, the last Pasuk in the Aliyah is a very important Pasuk. We learn from it the, the perhaps singular Baruch Amid Arisa, the biblical blessing that we're commanded to, to make, which is blessing Birkas Amazon after we eat um, grain products which are turned into bread. 
And there's so much halachic literature on this particular pasuk and the previous two pasukim um, on grain products in general, birkas me'en shalosh, they're what we call birkas anamichia, which is also perhaps learned from this aliyah as well. There's so much to be learned from this section. But one basic question that we can ask um, in our short time together, and that is how can flesh and blood bless the Creator. After all, a human being, temporal, referred to as a fading flower, a broken shard, a fleeting cloud, when we talk about it on, on the human being, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. How can that individual bless God? What value is that blessing of God? So the Vilna Gaon explains that, and the, the Malbim also takes us up in, uh, in Tehillim, that the idea of bracha doesn't mean blessing as in I bless you, but rather it's related to the Hebrew word brecha. Brecha means a spring. Why is a spring relevant? Well, you see a river and you see all this incredible running water. Well, where does it come from? So you have to keep going. You have to keep walking upstream. And sometimes you walk further upstream and the stream becomes smaller and it comes from various different places. And you go further and you have to climb up a mountain and finally you get to an area in the mountain where you actually see it coming out of the ground. And that's the spring. The spring is where the, in the underwater, uh, un, underground um, caves which gather the rainwater from deep in the depth of the earth, that's where the water comes from. In order to understand where the Delaware River is, you need to go all the way back to its source and understand where it, in fact it's coming from. When one looks at these things, what a bracha is, is not about giving God a blessing, but rather identifying a source. Where does this blessing come from? Am I just going to look at the river as I see it in front of me and lap it up and, dr- and drink the water and use it for my industry? Or am I going to walk upstream and see where it comes from? A bracha is identifying where it comes from. That's what the Vilna Gaon says. That's what the, the Malim says. The Vilna Gaon takes it one step further in Tikkun Zohar, where he explains that actually the word bracha is Rosh Tevos is an acronym for the words Birkois, Rosh, Umakor, Kol. The blessing or identifying the, the, the source of the head and the source of everything. Meaning to say, you want to understand any blessing in this world, find its source, and that's what we're doing. We eat something, and let's identify where it comes from. Rastelovetschik says in a very beautiful essay, where he describes in Drashas Arav um, on page 8, he says, and I'd like to quote this, this, this moment because it's so powerful, it talks about how Hashem continually places a cloud, a distraction in the world between us and Him. And to quote, the obscuring cloud takes on many guises. For the physicist, the cloud is the mathematical formula. For the bio, a bi, a biologist, it is a biochemical reaction. For the a psych, a physiologist, it is an instinct. For the psychologist, a drive for the general power of his army. The cloud is any manifestation of nature or man that promotes the illusion that the world operates autonomously. Concealing the reality of God is responsible for, that, uh, for all that occurs on the earth. And God can decide... To disperse the obscuring clouds, and occasionally in history, he chooses to reveal himself and proclaim, I am the Lord. When one recites the bracha, he is in essence saying, Master of the universe, you are hidden behind a cloud, no one sees you. Yet as I drink this glass of water, I reveal your presence. The very fact that I can eat, that my body absorbs food, that I can digest, that indeed the entire biological process behind food consumption and the creation of food itself is testimony to your presence. Through this recognition, I am removing the obscuring cloud. I am revealing you. That's the bracha, as Rasulachik explains, and that's what the Torah is commanding us to recognize in this aliyah. Have a wonderful and meaningful day.